Welcome, Conscious Monkeys, to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. I am your host, Collating Q. Terry, and today I am joined by a man of many hats. He uh, self-proclaimed spiritual alchemist. He helps people in the, with psychedelic realms. He's a world traveler. He retired at the age of 22. <laughs> all the fun things in life that uh, we're all trying to kind of pursue. Um, so without further ado, I would like to welcome Jared Schuster to the podcast. So Jared, how are we doing? Hey, Clayton, thank you so much for having me on. And hello, spiritual monkeys. Conscious monkeys. <laughs> Conscious monkeys. Sorry. Yeah. What, a, what a nice phrase, Conscious monkeys. Right? It just it kind of like hit me. I was like, oh, mm. that's that vibes. Like, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. It's so... Uh, something that the conscious monkeys and I are always interested in hearing about is you live this kind of crazy life. I mean, definitely a unique one by all stretches of the imagination, but let's start off at the beginning with, you know, what was the first thing that you wanted to be whenever you grew up? Yeah. I mean, definitely have incorporated what I wanted to be when I grew up, grew up into my life today, but it's taken a lot of twists and turns to get me there. I think uh, as far back as I can remember, it was probably around the age six that it became very clear to me. And unlike a lot of kids who wanted to be a sports star or a movie star or an astronaut or fireman or whatever, I knew at a young age, I wanted to be a businessman. I was like super attracted to sales and money at a very young age. And at the age of seven, I even started my first business Oh, and that kind of set the stage for most, most of my, my early. What, what business was that? So my sister and I had, uh, it was called kid print and we would make custom like stationary, like notebooks and paper to write on. And then we would go door to door and sell them. And then that quickly evolved. You know, I grew up during the Beanie Baby craze. So I started flipping Beanie Babies. Whoa. Um, my mom used to buy like Costco sized candy bar boxes and, and orange juices. And I would bring them to school and sell them. And I mean, I was just hustling from a young age. And I was always really good at connecting with people and holding conversations. You know, at six, seven, eight years old, I would be having like pretty um, adult conversations with my parents mother's friends at the time so it kind of just became like conditioned of like jared's gonna be a great businessman why wow, he's gonna be so successful in sales and and that's what i attached to at that age okay i want to be a businessman when i grow up yeah and i mean it sounds like you it wasn't even when you grew up it was just right away you kind of just jumped into it like i'm gonna do this yeah, it just made sense. Like I said, I was very attracted to money. You know, we can get into the, the nitty gritty of my story, but at six years old, I lost my father to the AIDS virus. Um, we, I, you know, from the age, at age two, he was diagnosed with this disease. And for, you know, four years, we watched this disease eat his body until he passed away. And I've done a lot of work around the healing and the processing of that chapter in my life. But as I reflect back on it, is very much that my grieving is what led me to business and sales. It was, it was a nice distraction. It was okay. I found something that I'm good at and I enjoy. And then I became very attached to money. It was like, okay, money will make me happy. I don't quite know how to handle these emotions inside of me with, with my father having passed away. 
and whatnot. So it was like, okay, I'm just going to go all in for the next forever. At the time I decided it's like, I'm just going to make a ton of money because money equals happiness. Mm, and as many right. of us have known now, that is far from the truth. Right. It's what I believed for a long time. Did you feel like, um, and so we can get into grief, I guess, particularly, did you feel like you looking for money was trying to fill that hole of like, as opposed to grieving, like, were you avoiding grieving and that manifested as becoming so attracted to money that that was going to kind of be your quote unquote savior? Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to, to put it. It's so subconscious at that age. For sure. You know, at six years old, you just aren't aware. You just, you're not fully comprehending what's going on. So it's like, yeah, I could say that I was grieving and avoiding, but I was just doing it all subconsciously. It wasn't a six-year-old like, no, nah, I don't want to address this. It's, you know, we were surrounded by a great support team uh, at the time. There's, you know, a therapist and counselors and everything to help us through, but it was just the way that my brain handled the situation. So it wasn't like a conscious decision. Sure. It was just me being a child and trying to figure out how to avoid discomfort within. And for me, it became money. Right. And I guess I, I apologize if I insinuated that it was conscious, but maybe it being, you know, <laughs> looking back on it now, it's like, I guess I was asking from a perspective of now, like looking back on it as opposed to it being mm. like, uh, Oh, you know, grief is like something I need to avoid almost. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Looking back now, you could see it clear as day. And then I followed that path. Um, let's see, probably for about, 14 years okay. I convinced myself, you know, I didn't address my shadow, my mirror, my demons for 14 years. I didn't know how. Right. Is it, I guess it was, I mean, I think you mentioned that you were doing some sort of like support and whatnot. I mean, was there nothing like kind of given to you, I guess, before that, that kind of like opened your mind to it or, um, sorry, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. I guess I'm curious as to how you figured out like that you, the right way to grieve or a healthy way to grieve, um, after that 14 year period. I mean, that's a whole journey in itself if you want to get into that, but you know, uh, so I'll tell a little bit more of, of the big story then. Um, so for 14 years, I followed this path. And when I talk about it now, I, I refer to it as like the path of the shits of the societal pressures that are put on us of what we should be doing. So from, you know, an early age on, it was, you should get good grades. You should do your best in school. So, because you should go to a good college because you should get a good job. And then, you know, and all the other details that come later in life, you should get a house and you should get married and all, all these societal benchmarks. And so I followed those for a long time. Again, it was all business. So I went to a top uh, business school. I went to Purdue university. Uh, which was a top one at the time. I don't know how it's ranked nowadays. And, you know, I was setting myself up for um, this conventional path of go get a job out of school, corporate America, work there, make all this money and, you know, and then I'll be happy. Right. And so senior year or junior year of university was when uh, the recession hit and all of the jobs had dried up and this promise, you know, college system promises us that if you get this certificate mm -hmm. you're guaranteed your dream job it's like that's not true but so as senior year was approaching i 
I knew in my gut that I didn't really want to do a conventional route. I had years of restaurant experience behind me. I really enjoyed the culinary world and working in restaurants. And I just was like, I'm going to get a job in a restaurant. I'm going to move out of the Midwest at the time. It was like, I want to move to Colorado and live an outdoor lifestyle. And because of the recession, a lot of people were like, you're just saying that because you can't get a job. Mm-hmm. All right. So that kind of lit a fire under me. And my senior year, I had all these companies uh, flying me all around the country, interviewing me for some really prestigious jobs, some offers that were only reserved for like graduate students and, and higher ups. And they were, they were approaching me. What an honor. Uh, the last company that, that interviewed me, flew me out to California, to Los Angeles. And I had never been to California. I never know California existed at the time. <laughs> and the second I got to California, I got off the plane and I saw the mountains and the ocean. And I was like, I don't really care what this job is. Like, <laughs> I want to live here. I'm this in. is awesome. Yeah. So, um, so I took a job. It was with a startup. You know, they gave me an offer. I took the job. And right when I moved to LA, I started to learn how to surf. And nine months into this job, this career, this the start of my career path, um, it coincided a lot with me catching my first wave. And that day that I caught my first wave on a surfboard is one of the most spiritual experiences at the time of my life. And it was just this moment of, I want to do this every day. Like this fuels me. There's something here. And that when I went to my desk that next day, it was like the walls were closing in on me. I felt claustrophobic. It was like, I don't want to do this for 40 years. What did I just sign up for? Holy cow. <laughs> wow. Like you introduced that I retired at 22. So that question started coming into my mind at that age of like, okay, I don't want to do this, this grind, this, this yeah. 50 years and then start living my life. So what does retirement look like to me? That's And it's evolved a Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing because that's something I think that I would say the same exact seed, maybe I didn't get there the same way as you, but the same exact seed of, okay, why am I busting my ass nine to five for a job just so I can live like the last 20 years of my life, you know, to find my quote unquote happiness then, you know, like what, Mm -hmm. you know, what are we doing here? And, and when I say this, I know there's people that absolutely love their job and, if you do, if it energizes you, like you were talking about with the surfing, stay in it, like do that. That's your mm-hmm. life's mission. But I just, I feel personally that there's such a large majority of people who consciously or subconsciously feel those walls kind of just that mundane, like repetitive nature. It's not fueling their life almost and that it's just that drain. It's sucking energy out of them. Mm-hmm. I refer to it as the deferred lifestyle. The deferred lifestyle. I'll be happy when I will travel when I will retire when, and it's like life is happening right now. Right. And you, you hit the nail on the head. When I speak of retirement, it's like, it's not do nothing as humans. We do not want to do nothing. You know, we all could use time to relax right now and release and exhale these past couple of years, but there will come a point sitting on a beach somewhere, somewhere foreign. And I did it all where you'll be like, I, I have purpose. What is it? So for those of you who have your jobs out there and you love what you're doing, then you're living the retired lifestyle as long as you have balance, you know, 
but yes, I speak on the unfulfillment. And for me, it was a lot of unfulfillment. And I, so I like how you like redefine retirement. Right. And that's actually so funny because that's something that I've kind of caught myself doing in my conversations with people because over the last six months I've been traveling I quit my job and doing this podcast. People ask me what I do. And I've caught myself a few times saying that I'm retired. It's like, Oh, I'm retired. And they're like, wait, what? Like mm-hmm. you're way too young. And it's just, it's that mental shift of like, no, I'm just doing what makes me happy. I'm doing what lights my soul on fire. I'm pursuing that thing that I know is bigger than myself almost. Mm-hmm. And so good for you, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I feel like there's probably some sort of correlation there with um, you catching your first wave and how you feel that you felt that energy kind of just almost flow or just electrify you in a sense. Um, what was like that process like with the whole, you know, um, you know, you started surfing, you said when you got to LA, like was, I mean, I know it's challenging to stand up, but how did that kind of transpire into, oh my gosh, like I need to be surfing every day of my life. It was the hardest thing I've ever taught myself how to do. You know, the first surfboard I got was not what I would recommend for people to begin with. And uh, it was just this process and it was so much more than beyond the sport of every day. It was cleansing my soul. I could feel it. It was therapy. It was just getting in the water. You know, I'm very connected to water. I've been in lots of different bodies of water around our world and the Southern California coastline for me and into Mexico, the temperature is just like, it's just enough to just charge you and light your, it just fuels you really fuels me. And that's more of what it became for me of like this almost meditation or the spiritual practice. And it is one of the places I've found on this earth where you can purely connect with mother nature in the rawest form that there is no cell phones out there. There is no other noise. It's you and this beast of an ocean and it will beat you up and it'll teach you so much about ego and there's just lessons after lessons and they continue on a daily basis. We had a 10 foot day this morning. I just finished oh, really? surfing about an hour ago yeah. and that was big for me. And it was, it's a lot of reminders of, of ego and that like, we're not bigger than than nature. So yeah, it just really introduced me to the power of mother nature and the necessity to connect with what I would refer to it as her you know, mother earth, right. uh, we, we are, to me, this is the big piece that's missing in our world right now is connection with self, but connection back to the earth. And we've removed ourselves from it. And those who are in communion with earth, they're on a different plane. You could just feel it in them. Like it, it does something to the soul. What do you mean by, uh, in communion with earth, like connecting with it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. Like consciously aware and being present and within mother nature, whether it's out hiking in the woods, whether it's checking out beaches, whether it's just stepping outside and consciously breathing in fresh air. That's huge for myself. I've even noticed like, I'll catch myself working on my podcast for, you know, four or five hours. And it's like, it's like, you know, you start feeling like a little, a little sluggish, almost a little like off and just going outside. It's cold here, but even just going outside and breathing in that cold air for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes, it like, it, it recharges you kind of like what you're saying. It like really like amplifies you and it's just fresh in a sense. 
Absolutely. And so I also remember and kind of noticed you were talking about uh, like, you know, going within and finding yourself is it, it sounded like almost as important as connecting with the earth and understanding, you know, that balance, let's say, or, you know, the, the communion between earth. Do you feel like you need to do one before the other or can, or how, or can like one kind of, I guess on, in a sense, supersede the other or like kind of, how do you see that? Because I feel like there's a lot of, and I don't want to make it a political conversation by any means. I just feel like there's a lot of conversation around mother earth that tends to be a little argumentative in a sense, like, cause I'm on board with you. We got to do our part type deal, but how do you bridge that connection in a healthy way? Well, I think there's a lot of questions that came out of what you just asked and the word that was speaking to me when you were talking about, is there one to do first or what, you know, I hear the word just it's awareness of each individual on your individual path. There is no right and wrong in any, in conscious work and spirituality. No, you know, the right is, are you aware that there's something bigger than yourself? Are you aware that there's something inside of you that is screaming at you to do something with meaning and purpose? Do you feel of service to this world? And then from there you let your journey unfold. Right. And so it's like, I've done lots of inner work and, but for me, these were the, the triggers. This is what started my journey was surf. So I was introduced in this way, in this story, you know, I can go back and tell stories. I come from a very holistic family. My mother is, she's my, one of my gurus. She's a very spiritually connected woman. And so like, I've had a lot of lessons, but things started clicking with me in the ocean. And then I started doing a lot of the inner work. And that's a whole big piece of the story that, that is unfolding right now of my journey. So in terms of when I talk about connecting, it's like, yeah, we have to do our parts, but we come from the earth. We come from the sky. We are not part of it. And I think as humans have evolved, if you look at this picture of an ecosystem, you see the way that like, the animals need the plants in order to survive and the plants can produce enough food and oxygen and everything for all of us. And it's like this, this, this beautiful, you see the circle diagram of how everything eats itself and reincarnate or however right. you know, it gives back to the earth and humans. We have taken like this, this bird's eye view and removed ourselves from it. Yeah. So connecting back to self to me is the same as connecting back with nature. You find yourself in nature. That's where we come from. That's where the answers of spirituality exist. Is from that like realm of nature. In the Andes mountains of Ecuador. Spent a year in Ecuador studying under shamans there. Again, we'll get into all this. I found answers in those mountains, but I also found answers within myself. Right. So they, they kind of, they, they overlap. To me, it's the same, same exact thing. Okay. Because when you're outside breathing in that cold, crisp, fresh air, you're doing it with intention. You're doing it to reset, to recharge, to whatever your intention is for doing that. But it's a byproduct of what nature's giving you. Is that there? Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Makes sense? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all connected. It's all, I mean, we are a part of nature in a sense. So by finding yourself, you're finding nature simultaneously. And so then is this kind of 
is I remember you mentioned going to Andes Mountains and in reading your bio, you were saying that you you kind of found yourself in Europe and traveling. Was this what happened whenever you quit your job uh, at the age of what was it, 22? Yeah. So, um, you know, I talked a lot at the beginning of this about money and how I was so attached to money. And so I quit my this this corporate job and out of all places for the universe to lead me to work was Malibu, California. And Malibu, as many of you probably know, is home to celebrities and our world's rich and famous people who have it all, people who we read about and they have the dream life. And we have, you know, spent years trying to attain what they all have. And there I was, you know, this was the job that afforded me the lifestyle of my dreams. I got to surf all day. I never woke up to an alarm clock again. That was a big big thing on my list of if I retire early, I, I hated alarms. Just like waking up to shock every day is not for me. And so I was working nights at this high-end sushi restaurant and having very casual conversations with our world's rich and famous and being in a place that, you know, we're, we're taught to idolize. I was really seeing this like curtain get pulled back of these people are no happier than anybody else. Like they have all this money, but they're on their fifth, sixth, seventh marriage. Their kids don't talk to them. They're in debt. They're trying so hard to keep up with, with the Joneses around them. You know, it's all just benchmarks of there's always somebody going to be wealthier and there's always going to be somebody less wealthy. And I really started observing this. And after about two years there, um, I was just like not doing well. I was getting very sick. I was getting these migraines. I was over exercising and under eating and just not treating myself well. Um, and I just hit this point where I just heard this, this voice of like, you need to take some time off and go travel. And so I, I heard three months, take three months and, and go, go travel Europe. So I went to Europe. Well, I asked the job, I said, you know, I need to take this time off. And they said, you'll have a job when you come back. I was like, awesome. Um, so I took three months and I backpacked all around Europe by myself and had the most epic kind of quintessential 20 something year old European backpacking journey. And it was awesome. And I came back from that trip and I worked for about a year again. And then same pattern started showing up. I started getting sick again. I was taking on a lot of energy from the clients that would come in. You know, I was bartending and waiting tables. And they say a bartender is kind of like a borderline therapist. And I, I agree with that completely. And so I heard the calling again. And this time it was this voice of like, you need to take six months, take six months off. And at the time it was... I really wanted to go to Thailand and see the Buddhist culture. And I really wanted to go to Indonesia to chase the endless surf or endless summer. And so I took, did this trip. I went to Thailand, I uh, went to Indonesia and I was sitting in my like hostel room on Christmas day in Indonesia. And I was looking at a world map and I was like, okay, where do I want to spend the next three months of this journey? And the only thing that I could see on that map was India. And I was like, holy cow, okay, am I ready for, for India? Like, India is a beast. And it felt right. I, I booked myself into a 30-day, 200-hour yoga training. And I was like, wow, okay, here we go. Jared, you're taking this, this deep dive into spirituality. You're going to learn this ancient practice of yoga. You're going to get these tools. 
it all seemed like this is the path being laid out for me. You're going to take these tools from the East. You're going to bring them home to the West. You'll start a new journey with yoga and, and meditation. And my training was unbelievable. I studied under some yogis in India, traveled around India afterwards. And then I came back from, from India and I had stepped right back into the routine and I was home for two weeks. I was driving home from the restaurant late one night at work and I was involved in a head-on collision and it broke both of my legs, uh, left scarring all over my body. And this is where I talk about my journey of going within, of this is where the trauma came front and center of, I was living my life and cruising, but it was then that I realized I had been avoiding a lot. Okay. So in a blink of an eye, I, I lost everything. You know, I couldn't work. I couldn't surf, couldn't hike, couldn't do anything. I was stuck in my bed for close to a year. And in that year, you know, when I look back now, it's like, that's why I went to India. The universe forced me to go to India to learn these tools because it was like, it knew that this, this near death experience, this life changing event is going to happen in your life. And we want to give you the tools so you can not only get through it, but you can thrive through it. Right. And so before we pick apart that, that whole thing, cause I'm sure that's a trip in and of itself. Uh, something that you kept bringing up was that you heard this voice that kind of was calling to you to go keep traveling. Um, I'm curious, was this, how could you like describe that voice? Like in my mind, when you're saying this, I meditate a lot. I'm not sure if you do or have, but is it almost like, like your subconscious talking to you or how would you describe that voice kind of calling to you to go somewhere and travel? I mean, I, I, I yes, subconscious, higher self, intuition. Intuition is a really good word. It's just that it's like this knowing, and it's not so much the cerebral mental. It's it's all heart. And it's like when you just feel like you have to do something, okay, and you have to, and you listen to that. And I think you know everybody has had those moments in their life, and a lot of us. I hear these words of people I work with and out in the world of like, I don't trust my subconscious. I don't trust my intuition. It's like, that's all we got. That's our guiding force. And it's taken me time to understand it, but this is a powerful, powerful tool that resides within each and every human. And we need to listen to it more. We've given our powers away so much to others saying, I'm going to listen and wait for them to tell me what to do, or I'm going to wait on my doctor to tell me or whoever, you know? Right. And it's like, whoa, you're, the, the inner voice is so much stronger than any of the noise out there. It, and so as I started listening to it, and like I said, coming from the family that I did, my mom was she, it, awesome because she was such a support. She allowed me to spread my wings. So instead of fear coming in and, you know, I had a grandma who was very fearful of me taking this alternative approach to life, mm. but to have a mother that was supportive and encouraging, you know, I almost didn't yeah. go on that first European trip. I was supposed to go with a friend and he bailed on me like two weeks right before we were supposed to go. And then all the doubt and insecurity creeps in of like, I don't think I should do this. I'm scared. I don't know anybody. I don't speak another language on and on and on. Of course. And luckily, you know, I had, my mom was like, you have to, like, I'm not going to let yeah. you not go. And, <laughs> And it was the best, best thing I'd ever did. I think that's really fascinating how you bring up almost the polarity between like your mom and your grandmother with how your mom was like super encouraging, go, go do it. And then your mom or your grandmother kind of brought in this doubt um, into it. And I say that I find that fascinating 
because I see a very similar dynamic going on with like kind of within my household. Uh, luckily, I'm fortunate enough to still bo- have both my parents, but I can see that my mom tends to be a little bit more on the side of, oh, well, you know, what about money or what if you get injured or what if this happens or what if that happens? Whereas my dad is more on the side of like, nah, just go do it. Like you go like do this thing. Like, you know, it's the, I wish I did this at my age kind of motivation. And so I I find it fascinating how life tends to carry people on both sides of that, on that dilemma. The ones that kind of will give you that, that those what ifs, and then the people that will push you to make, to follow your inner voice, to follow that intuition. Yeah, the what ifs are just projections of fear and they're coming from a place of love. And I had to do a lot of work around that because I started to resent my grandma back in the day about a lot of the things that she would say. And I would have to shift it in my brain every time I didn't agree with what she was saying. Like, this is her way of expressing love. And unfortunately, she's only been taught how to express love from a place of fear. Right. Yeah. And I read just the other day that 85% and share this with your mom. This is great. She, she's listening. I know she's listening right now. Yeah, so awesome. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. All right, mom. 85% of what you worry about never comes true. 85%. And so it's like, we're projecting all these worries. We're putting all this worry out into the world. We're spending so much energy and anxiety and, and stress around these, what you were saying, these what ifs and the what ifs never come to be. So what if, we started catching ourselves in those thought cycles. What if we started shifting those thoughts right when you you feel them come up? And the second you speak them, you're speaking them into reality. You speak them into existence. So it holds a charge. It almost casts a spell. So if you can start catching yourself back in the thought process of it and say, how can I shift this? Of what if he has a great time? What if he finds his sole purpose? What if he is so happy in his life path? And I feel like most parents, I would say, Majority of parents, that's all they really want. And that's where the fear for sure of what if my child is not happy? And it's like, how beautiful that that's what that is. But it's like, don't project fears on the unhappiness. Let's focus on happiness then. Let's make that the focus. And there's a huge power at play too, right? If you're able to be on that side of it and be like, mom, I understand like this is coming from a place of love, but you're projecting that love as fear, right? And it's, and it's like that it's coming from, you know, like I'd say a high vibration, but it's almost like the shadow of a low vibration being casted onto those words to be meant to be projected into your own thoughts and belief system that then, which becomes difficult because that's almost how we manifest is from our subconscious into reality. Yes. Our thoughts become things. That's absolutely how it happens. (laughs) And which, you know, it's, it's so fascinating um, that I've, I've kind of been doing a lot of even self-talk, like try to awareness of, you know, whenever those what ifs creep in to like, how quick can you catch them and, you know, either project the opposite or kind of, you know, shift the paradigm kind of in your sense, like how you were describing, like, oh, it's actually love. It's, it's not this fear. She doesn't want fear. She doesn't want to make me afraid. She's just trying to display love in the only way that she knows how to. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant reframe. And again, it's like, I just want to hold everybody in a place of love and light. And so it's like, and a lot of it is how am I receiving? So it's like, yes, they're saying this. And then how am I receiving? And what's my perspective on the situation? So the power is in the individual's hands. It's on you to do the work. 
and just hold space for those. Right. By you doing the work will make those around you shift. Change isn't really the word, but shift and start watching what they're saying and understand things differently. Yeah. And what you're touching on is kind of like the uh, ripple effect almost of uh, the healing. And, and maybe this is um, something I could transition into you as well, because I know I personally have done like plant medicine ceremonies, um, which I know you've discussed that you do as well or have done, not sure if you still do them, but it's that like, once I started kind of putting my life together, it was so fascinating how without even really saying anything, but just living my life more truthfully to my internal direction, almost to that inner voice within my head, that intuition, how it kind of had this cascade effect of people around me and how honestly they, in a sense, have started living their better lives or best life, if you want to call it that, um, just because I was doing work on myself. Is that something you noticed within your life as well? Oh yeah. I, I refer to it as planting seeds, you know, and I gave this talk recently called the time of the preacher is over of like, nobody wants to be talked at. Nobody wants to be preached at anymore. I mean, we're living in this world. We're all vomiting our opinions on one another, but not holding space to understand where they're coming from with this. And so it's like, it's a time to just live, live intentionally and live deliberately. And that's how you make the change happen around you. All right. People will see you and those who resonate with you and your message and how you're living, they will find you and ask you questions. And then you can open up Pandora's box and go, go down those wormholes and have fun. But you can't answer a question that hasn't been asked. And I think a lot of people are going around trying to push their views on, on other people and force it on them. And it doesn't work. It's like, it's hitting two magnets, you know, the polar ends of the magnets and it just repels. And so it's like, keep doing your work, everything you can do for you because it benefits the world around you. And it's funny you say that because even as I was even now, like even finding myself like kind of on this journey, there's truths that I've started to see, let's say in the spiritual or conscious realm of reality that you can't, you know, describe in a materialistic form of sorts. And so I'll catch myself, you know, like almost talking at, like you were saying earlier, talking at, or trying to like, be like, no, this is the way that everything is working out. And you can feel that it, that there's like this, it's like a magnet. It pushes people away from that idea more. And without that being your intention, like you want people to be like, guys, look at how, amazing this entire world is like this way of retiring at 22 and traveling and and you know partially maybe it's not for everyone but then partially it's you know you're you're talking at them it's not it's not constructive right it's it's almost you trying to validate your own beliefs by imposing them on somebody else as opposed to just accepting it for what it is Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I found that a lot, I guess, earlier on in my spiritual development and awakening because it, it's exciting. Yeah. Because it's like this matrix stuff is real and I've stepped outside of it and I want, oh God, do I pray every day that people decide to step outside of it and start seeing and waking up, so to say. You know, these are just terms we're using, but people resonate with them. But it's like, I can't force it. So I'm just going to live me. I'm going to put intention behind everything that I do. And those who resonate are finding me. Right. That, that's the journey in itself right there. I can't go out in the world and, and talk to people who are of a low vibration, who are 
so stuck in in old patterns and programming and and addicted to the fear mongering that's going on outside of ourselves i'm here to serve as just a peaceful being but you know the work is just to plant seeds it's up to the individual to water them so i detach after i talk it's like you do with what you want with what i said all right and if you come back awesome if not maybe you'll come back in a year or five years and i've had that too People who have been so resistant to who I am as a person are usually the ones I end up taking on as clients <laughs> on the road or they're, they come to a workshop or something that I'm offering. And it's like, that's it. It's detachment of I'm just showing up fully as authentically me as I can in any way that I can. And I think that's such a beautiful or like the right thing to almost the right thing. It's the most like energizing thing to do in a sense because it energizes you and you don't get trapped almost in there negative vibration. And something that I always kind of said at the beginning of, uh, at the end of my podcast is like, um, if something we've said, like angers you, like meditate on it, like figure out why it's angering you. Because I've always kind of, I went through a phase in my life where I noticed whenever I get angry, it usually indicated that there was something that I was missing from the bigger picture. And, you know, um, that was, I, well, I noticed it first with politics, but that was consuming my life in a negative, like news just brings you down to a negative level. But that really opened my eyes to like, why am I so mad about someone with a different opinion than me? Like, like just constantly seeing that it's like, and it, and it started to open my eyes to, oh, I don't see the big picture, you know, like I'm not seeing everything that's going on here. And I, I think that the whole matrix, uh, what is it? Parallel serves a lot of justice for it. Like I remember when you kind of, I kind of shifted out of the 3d and started realizing the 4d and then applying the matrix model of, well, if you want it, like you have to choose, right? You have to choose if you actually want to see the world in that light. And, and, and it's really amazing how it kind of transforms and, um, you know, the, the internal, answers that are kind of within that movie that can then be applied to this whole shifting process. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, that movie holds a lot of gems and keys and secrets. It's, it's brilliant and it's very, in, it's very real in many different ways. There's many matrices we're existing in. Right. But I also believe that like we, as the individuals, I'm a firm believer that we are God expressing itself we are the universe expressing itself through human form and with that comes this amazing power that we are the creators of our own reality so you can be you know in the matrix in the movie when they're out of the matrix it's this dark dirty you know tech kind of world and stuff and it's like as i was watching that recently i was like i don't want to exist in that either but i get to create this world that i'm living in i'm choosing the perspective that I'm, I want to see. I can focus on the garbage on the ground and see this dirty world, or I can lift my gaze a little bit and realize I have the ocean right here to see, or I have the sunshine coming in, or these beautiful clouds. And it's just like, that That to me is living out of the matrix, is being the creator and deciding how you want to feel and how you feel gets projected out in the world, and that's what you get to see. Yeah, and I think that there's so much truth in that. And a part of the idea that I kind of have messing with is it's like, um, in science, for example, let's, let's try to bring this to the materialist that might be listening. Uh, they say that like the only reason things exist, and I'm pretty sure this has been proven scientifically speaking, but things only exist because you're there to observe them. Like 
you know, for instance, like if we weren't observing a star or something, then it wouldn't exist. And there's this whole like scientific thing behind where, you know, the only thing that exists to me right now is like this microphone, these monitors, that light, nothing else exists in a sense because I'm not observing it. And so, you know, this kind of like compounds itself. And um, are you familiar with like the works of uh, Neville Goddard by chance? Vaguely. Vaguely. He, his whole thing, and I've been now kind of diving into him is his whole model is, is that the subconscious, your subconscious, my subconscious, everybody that's listening, their subconscious is the incarnation of God. And he brings like all these Bible and sacred text passages to kind of highlight that, to describe how your subconscious is manifesting and creating the world that is kind of around you. And he, and it, and it leads back to our earlier thing with how, if you give power to those, what ifs, it's like, well, what if this happens? What if this negative thing happens? You're feeding that subconscious to kind of create it and make it a reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he, he kind of goes into those whole things. And so, um, I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts on when maybe you started kind of paying more attention to maybe that internal self-talk that you were kind of going through. Was that something that you kind of discovered on your traveling or maybe it was surfing that kind of ignited that flame within you? Yes. I mean, this is a good segue into this next piece of, of my journey to, to today of, you know, where we left off was, you know, I'm stuck in a bed for almost a year. And so now this is my time to really start listening. This is my time to go within. This is my time to practice breath work and meditation and sit with myself. And it was so uncomfortable and depressing and very, very challenging. It was everything I needed. I still didn't realize it at the time though. So as soon as I was well enough to walk again, um, I booked myself into a 12 day, five ceremony shamanic retreat in the Andes mountains of Ecuador. Um, you know, little backstory on that, because we'll get on the topic of plant medicine and psychedelics, I'm sure here in a minute is I, when I was in Indonesia, I was in Bali for a while and I had met this girl who had just come from working with, with ayahuasca. And this was, you know, 10 years ago or nine years, however long, yeah, 10, nine years ago. And ayahuasca wasn't the buzzword or the name that it was. I hadn't heard of it. It really wasn't in my sphere. I don't know about other people, but it wasn't mainstream. And I was so fascinated by her journey. She had just come from working with it. And we stayed up like all night just chatting and she shared with me what happened. And as the, as our conversation came to an end, she left me with the words that I share with everybody now when it comes to plant medicine of don't seek it out. If you're meant to work with it, it will call you. And at the time, like, what the hell does that mean? It'll call me. Okay. Then you just forget about the conversation and you carry on with your life. <coughs> Excuse me. And so there I am stuck in my bed and the plant starts calling me and I don't even really remember the steps that I took to get me to Ecuador. Everything just fell into place. Yes. There was nerves when I arrived at this retreat center, you know, two hours outside of the closest town. I didn't know a soul there in a foreign country, but it felt right. I felt like I was right where I needed to be. And so night one or ceremony one was ayahuasca and it was, it was powerful. It wasn't, as profound that that ceremony wasn't as profound as expectations have been set around 
what that plant is. But ceremony two for me was San Pedro. And San Pedro, that was my first time hearing about, I knew nothing about San Pedro going into this center. I went there for ayahuasca because that was supposed to do the trick. And holy cow, San Pedro changed my life forever. It was the hardest night of my entire life. It was about 18 hour ceremony. And that was wow. the moment where I started understanding this inner work more than anything. I started understanding how to release myself, to feel my own wings, to let go of these energetic weights I have been carrying on. I had to revisit my car accident and relive my legs getting broken and, and purge it out, cry it out, throw it up, out, wow. get rid of it. And it was freeing. I had never felt so light and so free and amazing after that night. And it was that night that I went to the owner of the center and I was just like, I have to be a part of what you have going on here. This is, this is incredible. I have more work to do on me, but like, this is, this was where I got my message. I'm here to be of service. Like I need to be of service to humanity in any way that I can. And so she said, come back in three, you know, finish the retreat, of course, which was incredible, but come back in, in three months and you can, can live here. That's incredible. And so after the retreat, I went back to LA. I sold everything I owned down to a backpack, went back to Europe for a little bit to travel around some more. And I moved my entire life and became a manager of this healing center. And yeah, it was part of <laughs> hundreds of people's connections back to self. Yeah. And this is my, this was my PhD in life. This is where I started really learning what it meant to connect to self as a, well, connecting with mother. Okay. Through plants. And, and San Pedro, um, correct me if I'm wrong here because I've kind of seen where, cause I've kind of looked into like retreats, kind of like what you're talking about as well. Haven't pulled the trigger yet, but they talk about like ayahuasca. Maybe it's the feminine version of San Pedro and San Pedro is the masculine and you're supposed mm -hmm. to do them together or you can do them together. What's the whole deal with like how they complement each other? I mean, to me, the deal is do them with a shaman <laughs> and they'll, they'll tell the shaman will know what to do with it with you. Okay. Um, so yes. And like these terms, feminine and masculine, if you haven't worked with plant medicine, people get a lot of confused by feminine and masculine using those words, but it's true that ayahuasca is this very mothering energy that will kick your ass but in a very mothering kind of way. And San Pedro, you know, ayahuasca is this internal journey of really going within. It's not, you're not social with other people. And San Pedro is kind of the opposite where it's very, to me, it's internal, but it's very external. You're connected to everything. There's this oneness about it. They call it, um, it's a grandfather and it has this more masculine energy. And it's San Pedro, St. Peter is the gatekeeper of heaven. And it is, it opens up heaven's, doorway and just shows you like through your actual eyes. It's not just this, this internal thing, just the oneness and the connectedness of it all. And doing this kind of work with a guide is so important with a shaman because they're so trained and skilled into getting you into these states and pulling out what needs to come out. And our ceremony number three at this center was a sweat lodge. And in the sweat lodge is where our shamans would mix the two. So oh. I think it was 90% San Pedro and 10% ayahuasca. So we would get both energies in a sweat lodge, but otherwise we worked with them uh, individually for different purposes. That's pretty fascinating. You're going to have to, when we get off here, you'll have to send me the information of that. Cause that sounds pretty, 
pretty interesting. Um, it's also, I like how you were kind of describing that it's like that, that feminine versus masculine, because I've only seen it written down, but, uh, you know, I'm like, all right, like, what does this mean? You know, it's kind of, kind of bizarre to, you know, um, look at it in that sense. And I also want to highlight that it's so important. I feel like where you're, especially in the psychedelic conversation to highlight how your environment of where you're kind of taking these or who you're doing them with, it really sets the tone for that experience and the way that that plant medicine really works within you. Because I know people that take, you know, mushrooms for instance, and you just go to a, a concert or something and, you know, by all means, but it's not, it's almost like not the, I don't want to say not the purpose, but there's a different way that you can kind of explore these things in a more healing and holistic approach. Yeah. I mean, the word that our shaman would drill in us is intention. Yeah. What's the point of doing anything if you don't have an intention behind it, especially this kind of work. So if you're doing it just to, to trip out and then you're going to forget, it's like, well, then what's the point? Okay. Do it. Have fun. Like if that's what you're called to do, psychedelics can be fun in a, in a recreational setting. I don't see much harm in them. Um, but when you are doing them for soul work, it's like, it's all comes back to intention. What's the point? What do you want from this? Right. And they'll give you what you need, but it's starting off in that center, calm, present space. And I think intention, even in general, right? Even if we step it kind of back from psychedelics, I feel like that's something that, you know, we should evaluate maybe our whole life from the question of why, you know, why are you going to work? Why are you going surfing? Why are you going to the gym? Why are you drinking water? Why are you eating this food? You know, it's, it, and maybe that's kind of a way to even kind of pull people, maybe help people kind of transcend even the 3d of just this, you know, become such a, a habitual task of what we're doing every single day. And if you just sit there and question, well, why, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it, in a sense, it like kind of pulls you out of your everyday life. And really you can examine everything from like a different level, almost of the observer in a sense. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would call mindfulness Yeah, of just taking that step just slightly outside yourself and, and being the observer of why am I doing this? Why did I say this? Should I say this? What's the effect it's going to have? Do you, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Intention applies to, to everything. And if we can start living intentionally and practicing that, boy, will we see our world change for the better. It would be like almost overnight in a sense. Like mm -hmm. how the, and that's something that I feel like is so like lost within the present day of how, how much energy feels like is being wasted. And maybe that's a negative way to look at it, but how much more potential we have as humans that it feels like we're just kind of covering up or, maybe we're scared in a sense of having so much power, like realizing the amount of power that we have within us to change our lives, to change the world in a sense. Is that? Yeah. I think that for such a long time, we have been conditioned and programmed to not tune into that power. We don't believe it. We all, we have God, we, we're all super, superhumans. Every single one of us out there, we have superpowers. Like absolutely. Like consult, any religion and any text, it's all written in there and it's all truth. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of heavy forces at play, right? Especially right now in this time and space that we're existing in, 
that is doing its best to keep us numb, to keep us distracted. That's what the balance of darkness and light is all about. Of The darkness wants to just keep you sedated so that the powers that be, you know, they can go play and do their things and get more powerful and stuff. But yes, we are such powerful beings. And I don't even think that like people are afraid of approaching that. I just don't think that they've ever been exposed to it. They don't know. Do you-, you know, we're born into these societies where it's so hard to, to live, to survive, to thrive. And, but it's changing. And like you said, the overnight, I've been saying this for, for years now of like, as quick as our world seemed to just tilt on this weird axis and go to shit from COVID and all this, I feel in, in my heart of hearts that like, we can just wake up tomorrow. Like it can be so quick where our world can tilt the other way. And I'm a big, like, let's speak it into existence. Let's materialize peace on earth. And I get laughed at when I say that, but it's like, hell, I'm going to say it till the day I die because I believe it is so possible and it can happen so fast. I believe it's not this long drawn out hundreds of years from now. It's like, we can just go to sleep tonight and wake up and, we, we we all stepped into this weird muck and darkness. We can step out of it and and choose a, a much brighter, more beautiful life. I'm, I'm collective. Hey, I'm totally on board with you, man. I, I'm not gonna <laughs> laugh at you here. I I'm completely on board that as good as everything or as bad as everything occurred, I believe that it can go positive or higher energy. Let's say even faster. I mean, I'm reading a book right now that's called The Compound Effect and. I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but it, the most like layman's term way to kind of describe it is it's like, um, you know, if you ask somebody, would you prefer to have $3 million today or a penny today and I'll double it tomorrow and we'll double it for 31 days, which one would you prefer? And, you know, gut reaction is to say uh, the $3 million today. Well, if you had chosen the one penny every day doubled, one penny doubled every day by day 30, you end up with $5 million. And then day 31, you end up with $10 million. And so it's that the, and the reason I bring this up is because once you get that like upward momentum going, it, it goes up extremely fast. It, it goes like uh, what was it called? Like par- uh, logarithmic almost. And so I, I believe like kind of doing this work, doing that healing work with people you're aiding in, you know, aiding in those like individual building blocks. Right. And I bet you see this with business as well as when you do these just little things, right. You help one more person, you just help one more thing. You, you make one more dollar. It starts off slow, but then it hits this exponential curve where it then just will take off. And like you said, and this is what ties it all in is it can just have world peace overnight. Like, It'll just be on that plane. It's just a choice. And I want to apply that compounding effect. Take the money piece out of it and just picture peace. Of, okay, I choose peace today. I'm going to choose one person to hopefully that they'll choose peace today. And then that, that person will two and three. And then, you know what I mean? It's like, that. that's it. That's the formula right there. Right. And it's something so, it's like, it's something so subconscious that's happening and I see it. I believe it is happening. I'm connecting with amazing humans around the world in massive numbers and the groups that I'm seeing formed of the silver linings that are coming from 
these past two years that we've all collectively experienced this trauma that every human on earth has gone through now is we are seeing, yes, there's a lot of silver linings. And to me, it's beautiful what's coming of like, yeah, we have some, some bumps in the road to get through and there's some, some patches we need to do and some work there. But for the bigger, bigger picture is like, man, a lot of beauty is unfolding. A lot of people are questioning reality nowadays. A lot of people are questioning happiness and love and life and joy and jobs and, and money of like, is money even important anymore? It's like to a certain class of people, money doesn't mean anything anymore. Like it's not real. Right. And it's like this is the faster we can understand that and realize there's abundance on this earth for all of us to have everything we could ever dream of and more. And we can share that with others. That's where I'm going to, we're going to see this like, awesome shift happened and it's happening. It's, it's coming. I feel it. I love it. I love it because <laughs> I've had a lot of these similar thoughts as well with, you know, money in a sense, it's fake, right? It's, it's a, it's a ploy to make you put or invest energy into something that's external or not necessary. Right. What does, I'm curious what you think of what a world looks like without money, because this is something I've kind of played around with and, I kind of get stuck in some areas, but like, how do you, maybe not how do you get there? Because the how in a sense isn't important, but what would a world look like if money wasn't a part of it? Well, we have to let go a lot of the frameworks that we believe today of like, how, how would anything get done? You know, it's like, well, it would be a whole new system and that's it. It would just be a completely different system that we can't picture until we just start doing it. So on a small scale, right, if you were to take money out of um, grocery shopping, so my neighbor across the street knows how to make bread. They enjoy making bread, so they give me bread. I know how to grow carrots. Okay, you can I'll share my carrots with you. You know, it, it is. It's like we share, we collaborate. You need, you know, iPhone is the wrong thing because of what comes from it, but like a technology will be different. Our world will be different. Our homes will look different. But it doesn't mean we will be without. Right. There doesn't need to be this exchange of this artificial resource that we've printed and assigned a value to. It's only created a lot of separation in our world. You know, it comes back to like fundamentals like water. Water is something I'm very passionate about. Like the reason why people don't have access to clean water in our world is not because there's not enough clean water. It's because we've privatized it. It's because we've roped it off and when we sell it back to these poor villages. Right. I've lived in a lot of these places where it's like Coke and Nestle own the water rights. So it's like we have to start back from that. Let's start sharing water and re re again. If we start reconnecting back to the earth, we're going to see Mother Nature provide in abundance all the food resources, things that we need. And and again, we're not an idle species. We're not just going to sit back and. You know, maybe there will be some people, but there's some people in our current society that's doing that. But most people will hear and heed this higher calling of, okay, I really, I, me personally, I love teaching. I love sharing metaphysics. I run metaphysical workshops. The law of attraction is like, you know, I, I sleep this stuff. Yeah. And so it's like, I would do that if there was no money involved. I would still be sharing and connecting and outreach and being of service. Right. So, it's like letting go of like, just totally wipe the slate clean. Stop trying to picture like, how would things get done? It's like, it will be completely different, but don't let change scare you. Right. Embrace it. 
Right. And that's what's a huge thing. Even if we tie it back to the whole going and traveling is that fear is what has held people back from going and doing what their passion is. You know, I, I read enough books. I got to the point with enough books where it was like, you know, do what you're afraid of. You know, um, actually that was the ending of one of my psilocybin ceremonies was I need to start doing things that I'm afraid to do. And that's when I quit my job. I started traveling and I started this podcast. And like you're saying, I'm, I've, I've made a couple of dollars here and there, but like nothing groundbreaking with this podcast. But if I go and share these ideas or this knowledge for the rest of my life and, never make another dollar. It's like what you're saying. It's like, all right, like I've done what has called to me, right? I've done what the universe has pulled me and wanted me to do. And it becomes fulfilling at a level of just, of just providing, you know, like that knowledge and that wisdom to other people to share it. Um, so I, uh, I kind of lost my, <laughs> my train of thought there. I had a question at the end of that. No, I'll just, I'll just jump in and say that, you doing what you're doing right now, like because we are living in a monetary based society, you will get paid tenfold for this work. And it may not be a direct product of this, this episode or this podcast, but this podcast is a step on your journey because you were called to do this. And when you start really honing that intuition and listening to this higher self or God, if you want to call it God or the universe or source that it will always come back to you because you are living your light. You are living your purpose. And when you live your light and purpose, there is no lack. Right. And so it's like, is you keep showing up, you keep growing, you know, gratitude, grow the gratitude for the space that you're in right now for this cozy home where it's freezing cold outside gratitude for this nice mic and these headphones and this computer to do this on. And it's like, the more you are grateful for what you have, the more you will have to be grateful for. And in our family, we call them spiritual paychecks. This is a, <laughs> like a term, I guess my mom was like from an age. And it's, yeah, it's like these moments where you manifest something and you have no idea where it came from, you know, deep down, but it's like you, we may have this conversation and you're sharing your wisdom with the world. And then maybe two weeks later, you get this, this, this lump of money or you get a discount on something or you get something for free. And this is the way of the universe communicating with you of like, we see you, we thank you. And there's so much more to come. We promise. You know, that's so, it's so interesting to hear that because I've also been battling with this, like the thoughts of what you should do versus like what you should kind of feel like, should you just kind of be, you know, feeling or versus doing, I guess is kind of the, the synopsis here. And what I kind of real, what I kind of realized is, is that as I was making this podcast, it's like, okay, well, how are you going to market it? You know, but it's like these like internal or spiritual downloads, I guess people call them or epiphanies. I'm not really sure if there's much of a difference, but it, it like kind of guides you in like the next way or next thing to do. And then after you do that thing, it honestly like opens up the next thing. And an example I have is, like I make these clips for Instagram. So like, I'll cut this up and, you know, have like little Instagram things. And I was thinking like, well, what's the next thing to do? But there was a blockage within me to make that next thing because I hadn't finished creating the things for Instagram. And so then once I created those things for Instagram, I finished it up. It's like, all right, what's next? There was like a spiritual download, let's say to package up all those little clips and just put it on YouTube. 
you know? And so it's like, you kind of get into that rhythm of just do the task at hand. And then like the next um, door will open. I feel like there's probably like a biblical thing in there somewhere where like follow the path as it opens or something. (laughs) Yeah. And now imagine if you were somebody who had these ideas and then talked yourself out out of them. For sure. And this is what I, I work with a lot of people on of how often do we have these amazing ideas and in a blip of a second, we are so excited because we can see the reality of it. And then, then in the next second, we talk ourselves out of it. We say, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not pretty enough. All all these defeating things that, that cut you out and then put you right back into old patterns. And so it is. It's this practice of showing up every day. What's one step that I can take today? What is that voice telling me today? And I don't quite see how it's going to lead me somewhere, but it's the action. Right. And for every one step that you take, the universe takes 10,000 on your behalf. All you have to do is move. It doesn't even matter if it's in the direction of what you think your goal is, because you'll know very quickly. If you go behind this door, you'll know really quickly if that's what you need. And if not, you close that door and you try a different door. But if you're just sitting there and staring at these two doors and are, are paralyzed in fear, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. And so like, you can't get to this part of putting your clips together had you never started the podcast in the first place. And that's just what I mean. Like abundance is, is going to flow and it's all going to make sense of why we're here right now to get you to where you're going. And it kind of just, and my entire business is built around exactly what you were talking about of, you know, for me, it started with a few words that I saw and those words was like, Oh, that's to me, that's how you manifest something starts with your thoughts and your beliefs, emotions, and this whole hierarchy that you go through in order to turn your thought into a thing or reality. And I saw those words and a voice said, Hey, just, I'm a writer. I love writing. And it's like a voice was like, just write, write about those words. So I wrote about them. What am I going to do with this? Then it said, okay, turn it into a workbook. Okay. Now I have this workbook. That was a whole nother project. Finish it. And the next thing will show up. I was like, I don't want an ebook. I don't want to be another noisy thing online. And I saw the day that I finished creating the workbook, I looked at it and said, this is my course. This is my first ever digital course. And then the same thing, film the course. What am I, how am I going to market this? Yeah. Right when I finished that course, I was doing this like video challenge on this Facebook group. And I had won this prize to like a $2,000 ticket to this three-day conference, a virtual conference where I learned digital marketing. And it was like, okay, how am I going to do with this? And it led, and for the past like three, four years now, it's just been just show up and whatever you feel called to work on today, put your heart and soul into it because it, it's turning into the next thing. You just have to keep trusting that. That's so beautiful. That it's like, had I not ever done any of that, had I never, have I talked myself out of creating an online course, I wouldn't have the business that I have today and be teaching the things that I'm teaching right now. That's, you have to show up. That's so beautiful. Do you feel like it's, um, and, I'm trying to distill it down into the most basic thing possible when I say this, but do you feel like it's a combination of just following your following and trusting your intuition? Yeah. I mean, because going back to what I said earlier, intuition can be defined as, as higher power. It can be defined as, as God. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's following your bliss. What's going to bring me joy. Follow the threads of joy. See what, and there's challenges. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. We all hit them. We're all human. This is part of the human experience. But when a challenge arises, you ask yourself, how long do I want to stay a victim? I'm going to grieve. I'm going to go through right. this process, but it's up to me 
only me. It's nobody outside of me. I'm responsible for how I feel. I'm responsible for my emotions. Our emotions are, are the fastest way to see what our inner beliefs are. So how you're feeling is reflective of an inner belief. It's all on you. And so when you hit a bump in the road, it's okay. Do I want to stay a victim for this? And a lot of people stay victims their whole lives. Why? Why? And then you get nowhere. Yeah, why do you think that is? Is it? Does it seem like it's easier? Because it's a lot of pain that gets gets kind of trapped there if you stay a victim. Um, in your experience with plant medicine, why do you feel like people choose the victim mentality? Um, two things come to mind, and the first one is comfort. You know, it's, it's, it's comfortable to sit in our sorrows and, and close in, right? I mean, this is, this is victimhood of hunching over and, and closing in and burying ourselves and disappearing. It's hard to, to face. The hardest work is to face what's holding you back. Mm -hmm. But really, the, the bigger answer is that we're not taught. <laughs> like, we, we are doing this work now. We, you know, I've come into this existence with the knowledge and the journey I've been on to share this stuff, but mental health and these tools are, are not taught anywhere along our development. Right. And so it, it's, it's a big disservice to our society of like, it, again, if you don't know that it, something exists, this is all you've known. And we're looking at generations now. So we're looking at our parents, our grandparents, and you know, the further back you go, the less communication skills they really have or our grandparents have keep everything bottled up and all, all that has come from the wars and the things that people have experienced, but nobody has addressed and nobody's addressing where we're at right now. This is the mental health piece. And that is the most important piece. Oh, for sure. So if all you ever know is to just numb, which is what society has provided us, it gives us these tools to numb, you know, uh, you could get alcohol anywhere you want. You can get, you know, drugs everywhere you want, TV shows, the the news, these things are not raising our vibration in any way. They're numbing us. And that's what we're, it's like a security blanket to us. It keeps you in that same. And so I don't blame the individual because we just, they don't know. Like, and that's what we're here for is to show them. Like you can, you can transcend this. You can live a beautiful life. You're entitled to it, but you have to step out of that victimhood. And here is how. Right. And that's here are tools on how to start doing that. Right. And it almost, I guess, kind of starts with that choice, right? You got to choose to want to kind of break from that victimhood. Mm -hmm. So there's, I guess, a couple of levels, right? Number one, you got to realize that you're in that negative space. And then the next step is to want to pursue this life of, of mystery, this life of fulfillment. And well, I'm not sure what the next thing is I need to do, but I'm going to do this thing next. I'm not sure what I do after I make the podcast but I'm just going to make it and see what happens. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so bizarre because it's just a, a lesson that I've heard and seen throughout different books. And it's just that leap of faith in a sense to get yourself to get to that point where you're able to take that leap of faith, quit that job, you know, and do what you need to do to follow your internal guide. You just have to trust. Yeah. You know, mantra the universe has my back you have to trust that the universe has my back i am protected i'm divinely protected and provided for and the hardship that i've been through in my life was there to teach me something that has been my greatest teachers right and when you you know for me to transcend victimhood is by expressing gratitude for the hardest stuff you've been through in your life 
And that doesn't mean saying, oh, thank you that this terrible thing happened to me. It's no, thank you for the lesson that this taught me because it made me the human I am today. Right. You know, I wouldn't wish my car accident on, on anybody. That was hell. But I'm so grateful I went through. I'm so grateful it was me that did that work. I'm so grateful that it led me to to who I am in this moment. And therefore, I feel like I am not a victim to that circumstance anymore. My father dying. Whoa, can't say thank you to that. But I feel gratitude that I had the experience because it made me who I am today. So, you know, devastated that I lost my dad, but I needed that experience in my life. And I see that clear. So I bow to it in gratitude. Man. And that to me is like, it's hard work to feel that. Right. And gratitude isn't just saying thank you. It's like, it's, it's an inner feeling. And, and when you, when you really, feel that you let things go and then you feel guided and trusted in trust. I mean, that's powerful stuff, right? I, again, thankfully still have mine. So it's really hard for me to personally relate. Um, but I, I guess I've had small things, right. And, and I know that there's no almost bottom to grief, right. Or not grief, I guess grief, but there's no, like, honestly, no bottom to being worse. Right. Like, and it seems as if there's like always kind of a lesson that can be learned. And I guess a way that I've kind of started to see it is that the universe keeps exposing that lesson to you in a sense until you kind of learn it. So do you feel like, do you feel like there were lessons and this is kind of a tough question to ask, I guess, but do you feel like there was a lesson that occurred from, you know, your, from your dad passing away at a young age that kept like showing up that you needed to like learn from, they needed to learn to heal or like learn, learn from to move. I don't want to say move past, but integrated into who you are today. I mean, I think that as, as we grow, the lessons are constantly coming. There is no like, okay, I've learned all the lessons. It's just when you're not listening and not looking for the lessons is when you get the strongest wake up calls. Right. So some of the big lessons was my own emotions. Again, it happened at a young age, but this came up in ceremony was I thought I was, I was sad my whole life. And really the emotion that came up was anger. I was angry. I was pissed that my dad left us you know and and i've done a lot of work accepting that like death is our choice on a level you know not conscious you know this is where you can people can misinterpret things a lot but like he chose to check out he chose this path on on a very subconscious level he didn't choose a's that was just his way out but he had his contract his soul contract was up and i've accept i accepted that and, but for years it was like, I'm very sad. I'm depressed and I'm grieving him. And what came out that freed me was anger. It's, it's okay to be angry, Ex leave it. And the lessons of like, he's always here. Right. Like, especially as an adult now, I was just working with somebody around, around death and passing. And it's like the person they're, they're still here. They're with you as an adult. Would you be around that person 24 seven? It's like, no, even if you live together, like you still would go do your own things. And you just have this knowing that that person is there waiting for you. And it's like their energy, their, their spirit still lives. And it's very, it's true. The body is gone, 
but I got to revisit my connection with him. So to put, put your, you know, and answer your question of like the lessons is like, yes, they've been lessons, but I can't really put them into like dictated words. It's just been lessons that have allowed me to, to charge forward, allowed me to step more fully into myself. They've been lessons about release of stop taking on all these weights that are not yours. Right. The lessons of, you know, be your best self. That's what my dad would have wanted. And what does that mean? That's up to me to interpret. That's the power that I have. I get to choose what that means. Right. And so uh, that's really powerful stuff. And something I think that should, we should address because someone else has, I think talked about this on the, on the podcast, but I have, I'm still a little like I've heard it before and stuff is the idea of the soul contract and my understanding and please fill me in because you know, I don't want anyone to listen to this and take kind of what you just said the wrong way. Um, from what I've read is that, you know, this idea that we've kind of have a soul and we have past life and reincarnation's real. And, you know, we chose to reincarnate essentially at a very specific, at the exact moment that we entered this world, we chose that. And we've already chosen the exact moment when we leave earth, essentially this 3d reality. Um, and so I, I guess, is that a fair description of what a soul contract is or how do you, how, how can, am I missing something kind of in the middle there or is that a good explanation of it? I mean, yeah, I think you have a really good foundation and you take what you want as truth. So not everybody may agree with it, but this is, this is your truth. And I agree with that. You know, not everybody agrees with reincarnation. I, I, I do. I have revisited past lives and stuff. The only like thing that I would add to that is, is the work piece of our souls. We come here for purpose. Again, our purpose is to awaken into who we want to become, to be of service to me. Again, this is all just my opinion, but we are here to serve. We're here to serve one another, support one another. And their contract is up when you've done what your soul needed to learn in this lifetime, in this existence. And you may come back, <coughs> excuse me, you may yeah. come back again and again to repeat the lessons, but it's because you had decided to stay asleep in this lifetime. You decided to keep numbing in this lifetime, but the work the reason, again, in my interpretation of why we reincarnate is to to get work done, to advance our souls, to eventually get to a point where we no longer reincarnate in this human form. But the reason why we have this human body is to do what we need to do, to learn what we need to learn, to move forward with. And there's those of us who check out and haven't completed what they came here to complete. And that would be a repetition to me. You come back and you have to repeat those lessons. Right. And then there's those who are more consciously aware of their work and you do that work and, and, and your soul will end. I mean, death is coming for all of us, physical death right. of like, it's inevitable. It's this topic that we are. So again, it's another thing we're like, so afraid to address, but yet we live in fear of it. And I've seen that this past two years of like, we have deferred life in fear of death, right? but death is coming for everybody. So why have we stopped living because we're afraid to die? And, and somebody who has experienced death in many forms, my own journey, my father, all that is like, death is nothing to fear. It's beautiful. All right. 
we need to rewrite this script because again, we have stopped living because we're afraid of, of dying. A way, a way that I've tried to, well, for starters, I am totally on board with what you're saying because I've seen it throughout, you know, text where people say like, or they'll contemplate in the morning. Like if, if I die today, like, am I doing everything that I should be doing? Like, have I completed everything I want to complete kind of deal? And it really got me thinking on that concept of death. And I remember sitting and talking to somebody and it kind of came to me. I was like, well, if you think about it, in a sense, you're dying every day. Like every single day is a death and rebirth of your life. It's like, you get to choose what you do the next day. It's like, are you living to your highest potential for that day or not even, not even your highest potential, but are you doing, if your life was to end, you know, that whenever the clock strikes 12, are you doing what needs to be done? And, or what would give you the most energy might be a better way to phrase it. And it, I kind of shifted that even a little bit further where it's not even every day, it's moment to moment, right? Like in each individual moment of your life, you get to choose what you do in that moment, right? So are you doing something that's raising your vibration or making you feel better? Or are you doing something that's detracting from it or doing something that makes you feel worse? And at the end of the day, you know, it, it comes back to that compound effect where it'll all add up at the end of your lifetime to hopefully get you to that most energetic state you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And you know, a big piece too is like, yes, is it fueling me or taking away from me? Like you alluded to and fueling can just mean like, I allowed myself to rest today. You know, it's not, you know, we say this word work and we associate it with like doing tasks, but I have found that some of the best work that you can do is in self-care and self-compassion and taking, treating yourself well. So have I loved myself today and have I loved others today? And if you can answer that at the end of every day, you're on a good path, my friends. That's a beautiful. And if, you know, yeah. if you carry regrets, I believe that heaven and hell is a state of mind. It's not this physical place. It's, it's, you can, you know, they talk, there's a lot of talk on it. The heaven is here in this existence. It's right in front of us. You just need to see it with your perspective. Your personal hell is you living with regrets, you being in denial, you choosing to be a victim. And then especially when that moment comes, which many of us won't be consciously aware of, of when death knocks on our door, when you, when you pass away, where is your mindset in that time? Right. And, and if you're stuck with the regrets and the anger and you're holding on to resentments and have a lot of loose ends, to me, that would be hell. That would be dying and going to hell. Right. It's not about, did I sin? Did I, you know, all these things that control has done. It's how do you feel? Do you feel at peace within yourself and your life? Did you try your best in this lifetime? Are you looking back with smiles and gratitude and love? Welcome to heaven, my friends. That's it. I think it's amazing that you point that out because that's something that I've been trying to tell people as well is that, you know, in the, especially in sacred texts, it's, we try to abstract it as being either above or away from our current plane of existence, right? Like heaven's physically below us, you know, in the earth, or sorry, hell is physically below us in the earth's core, essentially. And heaven is essentially, well, in, in the sky. And 
you know, now that I'm thinking about it is it kind of shows that parallel between negative energy and positive energy where, you know, if you're feeling a, a high energetic, you know, vibration, right? You got high vibes, you're elevated, you're higher. And that's where hell exists, but it's, it's inside you. It's not in this external world. It's not like, oh, we now have telescopes and can see there's other stars and there's no heaven. It's like, well, that's not what these texts have been pointing to. These, these texts that we have hold held true for thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years, who really knows how long they've been written. Um, you know, it's that it's in here, it's inside of us. It's something that you're projecting every moment of your existence. You are the temple of God. You know, the, these churches that we build are just, um, projections of self, but yeah, again, heaven and hell has been branded and sold to us in order to control us. Right. The idea of these are, these are some, some dude, some probably male wrote this checklist of how to get in. And if you don't follow him and it just so happens that this checklist benefits that guy who wrote that, right. right? You know, I think I have my, my qualms with organized religion, but that's kind of what it is. We're going to sell you on our ideas of how to be pure. And in return, we're going to get something in exchange, but all the answers are within your temple of God. You are the temple. This is our body. Our body is the temple. You want to go to church, get outside. That is, that is church. You, <laughs> and like I said earlier, your heaven and hell is your perspective. If you if you and I, Clayton, are standing outside looking, you know, at the beach and you're having a, 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 a rough day, that rough day gets carried into your perspective of how you're seeing things. So two, four, four eyes, two sets of eyes looking at the same exact picture, we're going to have two different interpretations of it. So you're having a rough day. You may see this cloudy gray, you know, birds pooping and garbage on the ground, like I said earlier. And because I'm feeling alive and great today my vibration is high and I'm seeing just like beautiful surf and the sun and the birds are chirping for me and the sand feels soft in my hands. And it's like, it's in those moments that it's like, yes, it, it's within you to shift. What am I seeing? What am I choosing to take in and how am I interpreting it? Right. Do I, you know, we all have those gray days, but it's being aware of them. Right. So it's like, I'm experiencing hell. Hell is reflected all around me then. Yeah. And it's, and it comes back to that whole perspective of, kind of what we were talking about earlier is like even just speaking things into existence. It's like, if you're constantly in this negative mindset and this is something I've been dealing with recently is like, you're right. Anybody that's listening right now, like you're right. And that's the scariest thing is that take it, take it with anything you want. Right. Like whether it's the way you view politics, whether the way you view money, whether it's the way that you view the sky or the ocean or your significant other, you're right. Like, it's not a matter of, okay, well, they meant this or that or this. It's like, no, whatever you're seeing is correct. So choose what you're seeing, live in that place of more love or more light or more energy. And you can choose that. Like you can choose to view it in a different light. Mm -hmm. Yes. Power of choice. And we all have it. Yeah. I feel like that's why, you know, like Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, I think, okay. of his time in a uh, Nazi concentration camp. Okay. I don't think I'm familiar, and but go ahead. Highly recommend. I mean, it's one of those 
books that I think everybody needs to, to read. And it is very much on power choice of how are you choosing to show up in the worst situations and create your own reality. Sorry about the background noise. I have a, a puppy who's chewing on a chew toy. Excited dog. He lo he's loving the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's, he's my little shaman dog. A little shaman dog. <laughs> have some spiritual ceremonies with him. I have. Yeah. 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 And I, and I guess speaking of ceremonies, I feel like that's something that kind of happens, right? You, you start to, when you're, let's say tripping, you, you come into that present moment, like fully in a sense, it becomes very intimate with the present moment in a sense. Is that something that you kind of have seen with like your experiences and the way that you've kind of worked with these medicines? Yeah, because in the present moment is all that exists. That's all there is. So everything like that you're thinking about future is is a fake story, and everything from the past is a fake story. You know, it may be your truth, but it's your you retelling a story of something that maybe happened. And our brains don't do a very good job of it. So yes, plant medicine and and in a ceremonial sense, you're so present, and that's the power of it. Of another thing, uh, one of my shamans would say quite often was. Um, what you experience in ceremony is just a prequel to what you can achieve in meditation. Just a prequel. So meditation is, is even more powerful than seeking out and doing psychic. Again, like these are, this is like, a, uh, people are, are wanting to do this path and if you're called to it, awesome. I support it, but you can bypass all that work and, and seeking out plant medicine by just learning how to sit with yourself by going into the stillness. And that's a, an important thing to point out because, after telling certain people that I have done, um, you know, these ceremonies with plant medicine, with mushrooms, you know, some of them can't do it because of either their job or, you know, this, that, and everything else in between. Um, what I've, what they've asked is like, well, can you get to this place of seeing the world through this lens without it? And my answer was always, well, I don't know because I didn't take that path. Well, and what you're saying and what I've realized with other people is that you can get there, right? You, it's not that you have to have these or that you need these. I mean, it's just like you're saying, if you're called to it, if maybe you have trauma so deep and so held down that the, a lifetime of therapy might, might not be beneficial. I don't, I don't know. I'm being hyper hyperbolic here. But, you know, it, it kind of takes away those layers and helps expose you in a sense to that true nature of self and can, and can certainly help as a springboard. But like you're saying, it, you can get there on your own, right? You don't have to use it. You don't have to go to the Andes Mountains to experience it um, because it all is right here within you. Yeah, and the work really comes after. And I think that's a big piece people are missing, too, of... It's how are you integrating? How are you taking these tools and these teachings? That's what a ceremony is, is a teaching. And whether you're sitting in front of a guru or a Buddhist monk, they're providing a teaching. You know, I see this with church, right? A perfect example in yoga. Let's put them both together. If we go to this place, we worship, we get our teaching. We go to a yoga studio. We do this practice, this internal work. But then we go back into the world and keep being our miserable self, or we don't apply the work is an integration. So it's like after a ceremony, how are you utilizing this? And 
yes, absolutely. It's not for everybody. And it doesn't mean you're of any lesser than anybody else if you're not called to do this. Spirituality and consciousness has a billion different diving boards. Right. There is not one linear way. It's, it's am I going to jump or am I not? Right. That's it. The second you jump, you're on a level playing field with everybody. There is nobody higher up. Spirituality isn't this linear thing. It's a collective oh, consciousness. It's an awareness from within. So if your path isn't leading you to this plant of path or plants, then just stay wide open. Keep your eyes open because your path is on, will unveil exactly what it is. And you'll have your awakenings. You'll have what they call Kundalini rising in yogic tradition. You know, every tradition has their version of what we're talking about with indigenous and shamanic practices. That's one form of thousands. And I've met lots and lots and lots of people on this path that are so intuitive and so in tune. And it was not a byproduct of a psychedelic. They had never worked with a psychedelic. Right. And so it's just to each their own. This is my journey, my story where I was led, but everybody's spiritual path is completely different. And where you get into trouble, where the ego comes in is when you're trying to compare yours to somebody else's right. or you're doing it because you think you're going to attain something higher because somebody else did and it's going to backfire. So just keep following you, your truth and what's calling to you. And, you know, I think that's, it's really interesting you say that because I was actually about to make a comparison and I'm still thinking about it. So I'm going to make it anyhow. <laughs> I feel like in a sense, if you're able to kind of get to that place, let's say without psychedelics, if you're able to do all this work, heal all this trauma, you don't even need the plants. Like to me at some level, like kudos to you. Like I honestly, and this isn't to scare anyone either way, you know, do what resonates with you. But I just see it as like, wow, like not that I had to use something that's outside of me, but just that, and maybe it ties in well with how you're saying, like, we're all on this different path, right? We're all, trying to find the same internal thing, but just different things are going to be calling to different ones of us. You know, I, I needed to go to Brazil for a bit. I thought I was going to be there for 16 months. I go there for two months. I come back and now I'm back here. Um, it looks like, uh, the borders closed off to me, uh, now. So I got to figure out where I'm going next. I wanted to go to San Diego and I still do, but maybe it's, it's Egypt because Egypt's calling to me now. Like, and it's that, it's that process of just kind of going through it and just like seeing how all these, that mystery of like, well, what's next? It's like, I want to travel the world. I want to see all these beautiful places, but maybe I need, you know, to see Egypt before I go back to Brazil or go to the Andes mountains, you know? And it's, it's just that leap of faith, right? That leap of into that mm -hmm. unknown and seeing what happens. And, it, and you know, the, the theme that keeps coming up today is trust of trust that, that the right place will call you, that you'll know, instead of just throwing darts at a board, <clears throat> that like if Egypt is what's meant to be, it will effortlessly show up to you. If it's San Diego, it will feel effortless. It shouldn't take a lot of work trying to figure out the next step. I, I've, I work with a lot of people who are living so 10 steps down the road, and it's it's keeping them out of the present. It's keeping them from understanding that I'm right where I need to be right now. You know, as somebody who is a travel junkie, I've been grounded for over two years because of, of COVID and all of this. And 
I just keep hearing it so loud and clear that I'm right where I need to be. There's nowhere for me to go right now. Be patient. Let things run its course. You don't want to be anywhere. I don't want to be somewhere and get stuck. And the rules change every day. I right. set myself for paradise on earth living in Sandy. I'm two blocks from the ocean. I'm is everything that I need and I'm provided for. And so I have my goals. You know, this is power manifestation of like you set your goals, you hold on, you visualize them come into fruition, but you detach from the expectation of these little details. You let go of, okay, maybe it's not Egypt, but it will be something better than Egypt. But if all I focus on is Egypt, I'm going to miss out on all these other things that the universe is sending my way. All these messages saying, hey, you need to go this way. You really need to go this way. You go this way. <laughs> oh, no, I decided Egypt. I'm going to Egypt. Yeah. And what happens? Maybe a 16-month Egypt trip turns into a two-week and, and you have to come right. You know what I mean? It's like when we try and control so much, we're missing out on, on all these threads that are hidden for us along the way. So then where do you feel like the <coughs> – so where do you feel like then that balance is between, you know, saying – I don't know. Let's think of something crazy. I want to live in, uh, let's say, I don't know. I want to live in Europe and travel to every single European country, um, you know, that there is and holding that as your vision, but then versus like, like falling into the present moment. It, like, how do you integrate that work of, well, this is what my conscious brain wants to do. Like I, I, I want to do this, but the universe or maybe your subconscious has different plans. How do you kind of find that balance? Does it, does it kind of make sense of where I'm asking here? Yeah. And it comes from showing up every day and taking your steps. So am I stepping in what I feel is the direction of getting me to Europe? Did I visualize Europe? Okay, we've agreed that you're focused on it. You're visualizing yourself there. So then it's, am I showing up every day and taking a step in that direction? Okay. But if it's not leading me in that way, but is leading me to something better, am I going to be okay with that? Will I re reflect and say, okay, I realize now I didn't need to go to Europe to get what it was. I needed to be here instead. Interesting. That's what it is. So it's like, you're not, when you're taking action, you're not living outside of the present. You're very present. You're saying, I'm going to move today. Okay. Today I'm going to start looking at flights. That's my one action item. And for those flights, the universe is seeing you at work. Your subconscious is reminding you, okay, you're at least taking steps. So we're going to show you exactly how you're going to get to there or the big words right now is or better. Something better will be in store for you if you remain open. Okay. Does that kind of answer the question? Yeah. And I, I know it's kind of a weird question, right? Because it's like that, it's like that dilemma between, you know, having your intention setting your intention and then following your intuition in a sense, right? It's, it's, I have my intention of doing X, but the universe is pushing me towards Y. And does that make sense? Like it's, let's see if I can try to explain it a little bit better. If you know, it's, it's the, huh? <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, wanting so many things, but then you're only being given one at a time. Ah, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like the right way to explain it. 
I mean, I just feel like that this the analogy of the grass is greener of don't think you'll be happier when happiness is right here right now. So cultivate it here. Right. And then it'll just get better and better. So if you're, if you're holding off, if you're not living in the present, expecting life to be better when you get to Europe or when you get to wherever it is you want to go, it's not going to be any better when you get there. Okay. So it is, it's like, yes, my intuition is telling me again to me, intuition and universe is the same. So when you get a heightened intuition, they don't, it doesn't generally clash too much with what the universe has in store for you. Cause it's the same, same thing. Right. It's it, to me, it'd be more ego is my ego telling me to go here, but my intuition is telling me something different. Right. And that's, that becomes a, a practice and awareness, right? Essentially to kind of shove out that ego versus, you know, being in tune. And I think a lot of people silence the intuition and they chase the ego and I see this a lot in the plant medicine communities of I'm doing this because I saw a documentary on ayahuasca and I just want to check it off my bucket list. It's on my bucket list. It's like, okay, that's an ego driven and you're not going to get the benefits of what these plants can do. If that's why you're showing up, it doesn't work like that. Is that kind of what you, what you, what you have those conversations with people before they, um, if they come to your, you know, ceremony space and they're like, Oh, I'm just doing this for a bucket list item. It will, will you kind of like push them away or will you say, well, you're not going to get the full experience, but you're still welcome. So I trust that the plants have the consciousness. If people come my way, I'm not hosting a ton of ceremonies. I've studied under them. I've done, I've hosted a retreat with psilocybin and stuff. And I trust that whoever comes my way is meant to be there, but I do a lot of intake, even with clients, like I do spiritual development for people. It's not solely psychedelic work. It's like, let's, let's bypass the psychedelics and just work on you finding purpose and living a happier life. So that's like the bulk of what my like one-on-one -on -one work is. But even with those clients, it's intention. Why are you here? What, what do you want to gain from this? Right. What's your why? So it, yeah. Yeah. And if you just want to trip out, okay, we'll go do some mushrooms and go have a beach day and it'll be awesome. <laughs> right. But if you want to do work, that's, that's a whole different ball game. We're talking about. Right. So, but the plants themselves, like I was saying, they have their own consciousness. And I've witnessed this a lot in Ecuador with people of, it's not up to me to decide whether somebody should or shouldn't be doing it. It's kind of up to the plant. These plants are alive Yeah. and they go, they go in and they tell the person, Ayahuasca will tell you and you'll know. And those people who have taken it, who are listening, who have had that, they, they get it where she just says like, you're not welcome here. You're not supposed to be here. Get out. Really? And we would have people like leave. They would spend all this money to get to Ecuador in this retreat. And after one or two ceremonies, they, they would leave because they weren't, they felt it. Really? And so it's like, again, I take me out of the equation. When, when I'm in that space, I'm there to facilitate. I'm there to hold space and let the plants do what they need to do with the individual. <laughs> that's pretty powerful in itself that that's how intelligent <laughs> these things are. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Uh, it's just amazing. Like how much, uh, you know, intelligence is behind these things. I, I know the, uh, Japan and I guess it's a mushroom, right? But it's a fungus. So it, it's in the same family. Uh, they used it to kind of reconstruct the entire Japanese subway system where they like would put these like food droplets on the cities of Japan on a map of Japan, they would put food droplets with the same size of population density. 
And then they released like this fungus on it and the fungus orientated itself in a way that was like the most effective and efficient connection between all the food pieces. And so Japan then modeled their subway system after how that fungus was distributed on the map. And now they have the most effective subway system in, in the world and arguably didn't do anything to plan it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, nature lays out exactly what we need to do. Right. And I'm sure you've seen those Instagram posts where it's like, you know, your, your fingerprint is like similar to the way like a tree, uh, like a cross section of a tree is, or, you know, your brain cells and the neurons firing looks like lightning coming from the sky. And it's, mm-hmm. it really even just, it extends your mind to being like, well, what is going on here? Like, what are we, what's actually at play? Like if lightning is also seen in our brains, it's like how much, you know, how much control over this do we really have? You know? I see everything that goes on in the external environment is going on internal. I mean, you can zoom in a trillion, whatever, however you measure microscopes and you could find the same exact patterns out in the solar system. All right. So this ocean that I just surfed in this morning, the same ocean is going on inside of me on some level. That lightning in the sky somewhere is the lightning going on in here. So we are a reflection. We are the universe. Of Yeah, we can't. I don't know. I, I see that. On a, it depends how much you want to zoom in and zoom out. But the same processes are going on at all times. It's really, really something beautiful. And something that kind of just shot into my head um, whenever I was kind of fumbling around earlier to ask that question with regards to manifestation and all that stuff. I think what I was trying to get at is uh, like, do you set like time constraints on your manifestations? Like has that, is that something that you'll mess around with where it's like, I want to be in, I don't know, Egypt within a month or on this date, I'm going to have this much money. How does, how do you, do you use time in manifestations or is it more, abstract as to where you want to be and however long it takes to get there while just kind of go along for the ride. I mean, there definitely set goals for things, but again, I try and detach and understand that like, if I don't hit that specific goal, it's because there's something better in store. So if, if time is what creates the action, that's what lights the fire, then great, you know, set, set that time but show up every day and trust, trust that it's unfolding. Cause yeah, it's, so I, I don't know, you know, I definitely, I, I see that as goals. Manifestations are more like, these are my big, the big ideas of what I want to grow into, but you can manifest down to material things. You can, can do this work on that plane. But, um, I try and I personally, like, I just trust that it, it's, it will show up exactly when it needs to. Right. And I don't want to rush it. I may feel like I want it now, but when those times come and they surpass, I can look back and say, well, I wasn't ready. I wasn't fully ready to receive it. And now I am ready. And that's why I've received it now. It makes so much more sense why I got it now. Because if I got it earlier or did that trip earlier, it would not have been what it is now. Right. That's an interesting point. So I don't like to pressure the universe. Yeah. To, <laughs> to conform to your will. <laughs> you yeah, will do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Bigger, bigger things are at play there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but on that note, uh, 
I'm kind of at the limit here. Is there anything that we didn't get to with your life that you'd love to love to talk about that kind of interweaves with all this stuff? I mean, just it's a great conversation and there'll be more to have. Yeah. That's all, you know, of, of for everybody listening of just keep following your bliss, keep spreading love and light. We need it so much. Don't think that you're in, insignificant at all. The fact that you are here and you are listening is so powerful and so needed for our world. So whatever your heart is telling you to do, just start doing it. Let go of judgment and doubt and just start living your truth because that's how we're going to materialize a much brighter and more beautiful world. I was going to ask you if you wanted to encourage anybody to do something, but it looks like <laughs> you knew already. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, well, with that being said, guys, if you want to check out more of Jared's stuff, I'm going to grab his, uh, all of his links, throw them down in the descriptions below. And, you know, Jared, I really appreciate you coming on, spending this out almost two hours, um, to talk to people, to encourage all this. And, uh, Let's see what happens. I'd love to have you on again in the future whenever our past have, you know, the world has unfolded a little bit more and we can uh, revisit these kind of conversations. And, you know, maybe people are just still unsure and then we can check back in or something. And then people are like, oh, okay, like it's still going all good for them. So, you know, why not? You know? Mm, absolutely. And I, yeah, thank you for all you're doing, Clayton. And I, I wish you, and I don't even need to wish you because I know it's coming, but I wish you so much success with all that you're doing. And yeah, thank you for showing up who you, as who you are in the world. It's pretty amazing to cross paths with you. So I appreciate you. it, man. And Jared, I can tell you're doing the same exact thing. So I, all the words right back at you. I, I appreciate you as well. And I appreciate all you conscious monkeys as well. So, uh, it, Conscious monkeys. Couldn't do this without you guys. <laughs> we need your support. Yeah. <laughs> the building blocks, the, the people that are empowering to get them to, you know, take that leap, whatever that one thing is. Mm -hmm. um, well, with that being said, thanks, guys. This wraps up the episode and I don't have any other announcements. So let's grow together.